We're actually uh, just starting a series in the book of Colossians and we're in our second week and we're continuing that series uh, this afternoon. If you've got a Bible, uh, you could grab it. I'd offer you one of ours, but we've only got two, so first come, first serve, they're probably already gone. There you go. But if you've got it, you could turn to Colossians chapter one. Um, it's coming up to an anniversary for us as a family, Elizabeth and I. It's around three years ago uh, to the week that Elizabeth's grand passed away. And um, it's a, a milestone that you know, we, we grieve the loss of anyone, but it's a time that we get to celebrate as well. Isabel loved Jesus, and we know that she's with her saviour now. But towards the end of Isabel's life, um, she really struggled and battled with dementia. And I'm sure um, quite a few of us have probably got first-hand experience of what that, what that is like to walk with someone and to love someone whose memory is uh, fading away and it is heartbreaking. And for Isabel, it was a slow de- de- deterioration and then uh, became quite rapid in the end. And she lost her memory, but she became increasingly confused and unsettled. And she reached the point really where it wasn't really Isabel anymore. You know what I mean? When you walk into the room and it's just, it's not, not her. Uh, but every now and again, she would just have these, these moments of Isabel coming back. There were some quite entertaining times where Elizabeth's mum would be in the room and she'd be reciting scripture uh, to her mum. And there was this one time she was um, talking uh, Isabel, uh, Anne is uh, Elizabeth's mum's name, Anne was talking to Isabel through the, the um uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. A lot of us will know it off by heart and thought she knew it off by heart until she was kind of a few lines in, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. And then I could see, Elizabeth and I could see, she doesn't know what's coming next. She's kind of lost it a little bit. And then she just skipped on a little bit to, uh, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. But Isabel knew that Anne had you know, totally fluffed her lines and she looked at her mum and she's like, that's not the right line. And then she managed to talk it through Psalm 23. Incredible. And there were times when Elizabeth used to sit alongside and sing her hymns. What was the hymn used to sing? Um, what a friend we have in Jesus. And Isabel would know all the words and it would come back to her. It's interesting. I'm sure you might have experienced it yourself if you had a relative or a friend who has struggled in the same way. But it's interesting that our memory has great power to fill us. And to remind us of who we are. Even for Isabel, like we thought it had all gone, but there were things in her. And she was filled with a particular type of truth, the truth of God's word. And there were moments that it would pop up and emerge and all of a sudden it was Isabel again. She knew who she was. And as the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Colossae, as he writes to this church, he knows that in the city there are people and there are beliefs and there are cultural practices that are coming into the church and they're trying to confuse God's people. They're trying to unsettle God's people. They're trying to convince God's people that they aren't who Paul has encouraged them and Epaphras, who is their pastor, has encouraged them that they are. They're being confused, unsettled. And they're being convinced to be different people. And so Paul writes this part of his letter in particular to the church in Colossae to provoke their memory. To help them remember. To take their mind back to something that's happened. 
even before they were born, just a part of God's story that, that is long in the past, but to take their mind and their hearts back to what had happened to provoke their memory so that they can be filled up with, with the truth that they are remembering and they can be reminded of who they are. What is it that they're filled up with as they're reminded of their past? Well, let's listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Can I just encourage you, have your Bible in front of you, but you might just want to listen. Just listen along. Listen to certain words. Listen to, to maybe the stories that Paul is drawing the minds of his hearers towards. Let me read verses 9 to 14, and then I'll pray. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me just pray again before we move on. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is truth to us. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We believe that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray that you would come and do a work. Change us, we pray. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to grow in our character and conduct to be like him for your glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, Last week, as we started looking in chapter one, we looked at some of the background of the church in Colossae, some of their history, some of the context of where they're set. But actually, what we see is that the story of the church in Colossae doesn't start in 60 AD when the Apostle Paul writes to them. Their story started all the way back In the beginning, back in Eden, the first words of the Bible tell us, they'll pop up on the screen here, they remind us that God placed Adam into the garden, the first human. He's the first human on earth and God places him into the garden, places him into Eden. And Eden was set up as a, as a, almost like a temple, as a place of worship. Adam's told this to bear fruit and he's told to work and keep the garden. And some of you might know that phrase, work and keep. It only pops up one more time in the Bible and it's used to describe the work of the priests in the temple. Adam is placed into the garden, placed into this place of worship. His work was worship and he's created in the image of God to reflect the beauty of God, to reflect the glory of God. God's heart is that Adam's image will multiply across the earth and as it does, his glory will multiply across the earth. His role was to worship, to reflect the beauty of God. And Adam had every reason to worship. You imagine him walking around the garden and seeing what he sees and just seeing the beauty of God's creation and seeing the character of God. And and listen, God was there. We read that, don't we? He was there, present with Adam. And so Adam has a front row seat to see the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God. He has every reason to worship God. At every turn, there are reminders and prompts for him to worship. And yet we read in Genesis 3, don't we, that knowledge of God, all of these reminders of who God is, knowledge of God wasn't enough. Adam and his wife Eve wanted knowledge like God. 
And so the serpent comes alongside and deceives them and says, you just need to take of the fruit of that tree. It doesn't matter that God said, don't, just take it. If you want to be like God, you need to, you need to go and eat. Don't, don't worry about his commandments. And so they take of the fruit and they eat it in a hope that they can be like God, not just know of him. And the results, we know, if you know the story, were devastating. But that just isn't Adam and Eve's story, folks. We all share in that story. All of us come into this world listening to the same lie, believing that we can be the centre of the universe, believing that we should be enthroned, believing that everything should submit to us. And, okay, we might believe in God, but he's not top of the chain. We are. We think that we know better than God. We think that we know what we need to be filled up with. We want to be people who who have comfort and satisfaction and contentment. And we know how to get that. So we chug away all the things that life says are going to give us those things. And some of those things are good things. But ultimately God says, no, it's me. I'm the one that you need to worship. I'm the one who's on the throne. Don't replace me with anything else. And we, just like Adam and Eve, pursue knowledge like God instead of being satisfied with knowledge of God. And the result for us is the same. It's devastating. It's separation from God. And the reason that we pursue that, the reason that we want knowledge like God rather than knowledge of God, is because we've distorted what it is to be human. To be truly human, and we saw it in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, to be truly human is to worship and to serve God as we're filled with the knowledge of him. That's what it is to be human. That's the life that Adam was given, to worship and to serve God as he was filled up with the knowledge of God, as he saw God at work, as he saw God's creation, to be filled with the knowledge of who he is and be satisfied with that. Not trying to be like God, but being filled with knowledge of him. That's what it means to be truly human. And I wonder if as we read through the passage in Colossians 1, you heard echoes of the story. Echoes of Eden. Look down at verse 9 and 10. And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul and Timothy are praying for this church. In particular, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. That same phrase again. In every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruit, work, and knowledge. Where have we heard those things before? In the garden. Paul wants the church in Colossae to to experience and enjoy what it is to be truly human. To worship and serve God as they are filled with the knowledge of God. I want them to have a fruitful, uh, Paul wants the church to have a fruitful life of worship. To do what they were created to do. To have a fruitful life of worship as they're filled with the knowledge of God. That is the kind of life that Adam should have lived. And Paul says, if you look at verse 10, that kind of life, a life of fruitful worship as we're filled with the knowledge of God, that kind of life, that's a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. You see that phrase in verse 10? Worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. What does he mean by that? Let me use this as an example. My wife, Elizabeth, some of you know her, know that she has a God-given gift of accents, right? And particularly regional accents. So she's in heaven this afternoon. There's some regional accents in this afternoon. I apologise in advance, guys. Uh, but she has just this real talent 
just to listen to your accent and to replay it. And honestly, like sometimes you'll walk in a room and you'll hear Elizabeth speak. Ella's laughing because Ella is, she's the number one victim of, um, of Elizabeth's accents. You can walk into a room and if you hadn't seen Elizabeth, you'd be convinced that it was someone else. Well, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, means that the way that we live so convincingly reflects the beauty of Christ that we could almost be convinced that it's him in the room. Understand what he's saying? To mirror the character and conduct of Jesus, to live like he lives in such a way that it's worthy of him. What did that look like for the church in Colossae? What did it look like for them to reflect the beauty of Christ, to live a life that's worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him? Well, it looks different in different moments. We reflect different aspects of the character of Jesus and his beauty at different moments. But just like us, in this moment of time, the church in Colossae, they were being pushed and pressured by the culture around them to give up on Jesus to let go of Jesus and, and, and grab a higher knowledge, a higher intellect, all these, these different religious activities. Jesus wasn't enough. That's what the teachers were saying around them. And they were being pressured by the culture to let go of Jesus. And so Paul says in verse 11, what you need in this moment, what it looks like to reflect the beauty of Jesus in this moment, what it looks like for you to walk in a way that honours Jesus in this moment, what you need is endurance and patience with joy. See that in verse 11? You need endurance and patience with joy. That's the particular aspect of Christ-likeness that you need in this moment. And what he means by that is, is, is waiting on God. He recognises the circumstances are hard and he's encouraging them, be patient. Don't waver from the truth. Trust, like believe that Jesus is enough. Christ alone is enough for your salvation. Endure the hardships and endure with joy. And Paul says, that's what Timothy and I are praying for you. We, we can't stop praying for you. We haven't ceased praying that that is what you would have. Endurance and patience with joy. And there's a bit of a movement that goes on here. He's saying that he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God, strengthened with his power, verse 11, so that they can reflect the character of Jesus, so that they can endure and be patient with joy. And if I was to do a little survey this afternoon do a bit of a hands up thing and ask okay who in this room who, who here finds himself in a similar place to the church in Colossians where we feel the pressure of the world pressing in on us who in here is tired of trudging through the brokenness and the chaos of this life who in here is Feeling the pressure of having to conform to the patterns of the world. Who in here is feeling anxious about what devastation might be around the corner tomorrow? If I was going to do a bit of a hands up thing, I'm sure most of us would have our hands up. We feel the difficulty of the human life, don't we? We feel the difficulty of what it is just to live. We feel the pressure of the world pressing in around us. It is hard to live the human life, folks. And the mantra that we hear a lot of the time when we struggle in this life is, brother, sister, just keep going. I've been guilty of saying that to some of you even recently. Just keep going. Keep going. And I say to you this afternoon, there's a better way. There is a better way than just keep going in the midst of struggle. 
Let me just play back what Paul has just said to us. He takes us through these three moves. Paul prays, firstly, that the church would have endurance and patience with joy. Okay, that's what he wants for them. That's what Christ-likeness looks like for them in the moment. Endurance and patience with joy. And he says it comes to them by them being strengthened with power. You see that in verse 11? And how does the power come to them? Does it come to them through them being stronger by just keep going? Does it come to them by being intellectual, by learning more theology? Does it come to them by being people who just find that inner strength within them and just, and just press in? No, Paul says the power that comes for endurance and patience with joy comes from being filled with the knowledge of God. That's where it comes from. And when he's talking about being filled with the knowledge of God or all spiritual wisdom, when he talks about those things increasing in the knowledge of God, he isn't talking about being theological scholars. Some of you are just like, oh, thank guns for that. He's not talking about being people who read more books. He's not talking about people who, who pursue this intellectual knowledge of, of who God is. That isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about growing in our knowledge of God in just knowing who he is and what he's done. In knowing his story. In knowing our story. In remembering what he has done and what he is doing in our life. And how are we filled with that knowledge? Well, interestingly, Paul gives us a bit of a, a bit of a, okay, here you go. This is how it works in verse 12 to 14. I'm going to read it from the NIV. It's up on the screen. It just phrases it a little bit differently. And as we're reading this, remember Paul is is trying to pull their heads to to remember. He's trying to help them to see, okay, this is your story. Be filled with the knowledge of God. Remember who you are. As we read this through, just see if you can hear hints of another story. We've heard Eden. Now here, if you can uh, see if you can pick up any hints of another story for God's people. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is pulling on two stories in this part of the letter. We, we've heard the Eden story in verse 9 to 11, and then these verses, verse 12 to 14, he's taking them back to another part of God's story. And listen again to those words inheritance, a holy people, a people who've been rescued, rescued from a domain of darkness, a kingdom of darkness, a people who've then been brought in, transferred into God's kingdom. Those of you who know the Bible, what story does that remind you of? The Exodus. He's pointing their heads and their hearts back to their great salvation story. A story that was finished fully and finally in and through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Colossians would have known this story. The story of the Exodus, God saving his people out of Egypt, liberating them from physical slavery, bringing them into his promised land, redeeming a people to himself, calling them his holy people. In fact, he calls them his beloved son. That's what he calls Israel, my beloved son. That story of the Exodus is God's Story, and it is the story of God's people. And here's what's interesting in the Old Testament. That thread of the Exodus story is all the way through. In fact, they carry through into the New Testament. And what you keep hearing through the Old Testament is the prophets coming to God's people, pointing their heads back to the Exodus story and saying, don't forget. 
Don't forget what God has done. Remember. Remember how he, how he rescued you. Remember how he redeemed you. Remember how he ransomed you. Remember the story. Don't forget. And Paul here, as he points their heads towards the Exodus story, is doing the same thing. Remember. Remember what it was like to live in the kingdom of darkness. Remember how you were once enslaved by sin. And give thanks to God as you remember how he saved you, how he delivered you from darkness, how he redeemed you from death, how he forgave you of your sin. Give thanks to God as you remember how he brought you into his kingdom of light, how he has given you an eternal inheritance. Remember how he did it. How did he do it? How does Paul say that he did all those things for God's people? Through his beloved son. The Exodus story was just a forerunner for the full story. All of those things, our forgiveness, our redemption, our being brought into God's kingdom came to us through the son of God. Through him suffering a death that we should have died. Through him rising again three days later, bringing us into a promise of eternal life with him. All of those things came to us through God's beloved son. Just like we're going to celebrate in a few moments time. If you're a follower of Christ this afternoon, you know that story. That you were once dead in your sin. And God, by the power of the spirit, has given you faith to believe that his son is indeed your Lord and your savior. And he has dealt with your sin fully and finally in his death on the cross. And in his resurrection, he has brought us into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. He has given us an inheritance, an eternal inheritance, a home with God, with his people forever, a place free from sin, free from pain, free from struggle. And it comes through Jesus. Paul is saying as he evokes the memory of the Exodus, remember that. Remember it. Why? Because he wants to fill their hearts with the knowledge of God. Remember, this isn't intellectual knowledge. It's not academic knowledge. It's not this super spiritual knowledge. He's talking about the story of God, which every one of his people already knows. He wants us to be full of it. To remember the beauty of the gospel. The glory of the finished work of the cross. I was sitting, I had the privilege this week of being away and spending a few days with some academics and some scholars and just doing deep dives into the Bible. And it was wonderful. It was really good, really stirred my affections for Jesus. But you know, the most powerful moment of this week for me was I sat with a brother yesterday and he's just getting to grips with the Bible, just starting to read it. And he's buzzing, like proper buzzing, like he... They would be his words. He just has fallen in love with the scriptures. And you know what his, what his reason was that he just loves it so much? It wasn't because he's kind of learning all these super spiritual words. It wasn't because he's going deeper and kind of getting closer to a theological degree. You know why he loves getting into the scriptures? This is his phrase, because I feel like I'm getting closer to Jesus. That's what being filled with the knowledge of God is about, folks. Not growing big brains. It's about falling more in love with our Saviour, the beloved Son of God. The call of God's word here is to reflect the beauty of Christ, to be people who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 
And in the midst of the struggle, that looks like having joyful, patient endurance. And the power for that kind of life doesn't come from keep going. It comes from keep remembering. Remembering all that God has done. And filling our hearts with that knowledge. What's that going to look like for us this week? Well, if you're someone who is like Adam and Eve, pursuing knowledge like God rather than knowledge of God. If you've rejected God and you've placed yourself on the throne, then you need to know that that kind of life, staying in a kingdom of darkness where you've enthroned yourself, that kind of life will not lead you to forgiveness of your sin. It will not lead you to redemption. It will not lead you into a kingdom of light. The results of that kind of life, folks, are devastating. Put your pride away and come to his beloved son. For those of us who are already following him, let me remind us again, we have been called into a fruitful life of worship, reflecting Christ's character. That's what we've been called into. And it's our joyful privilege to walk in that. So when you hit crisis this week, when you hit struggle, when you find yourself in those situations where the world is pressing in and you feel pressured to conform to the world, don't hear, keep going, hear, keep remembering. And practically, what does that look like? Well, do just what Paul has done for the Colossians there. Find a facet of the gospel and just sit there and enjoy it. Paul uses the example of the Exodus. He turns their heads towards the Exodus. It could be something else for you this week. I was speaking to someone who uh, was uh, learning about forgiveness this week. And just for the first time, the, the idea that Christ had forgiven him of all of his sins, it just came alive. And he just sat staring at that facet of the gospel. And he felt the knowledge of God just filling up in him. So maybe you do that. You, you just think about forgiveness and how that has come to you in Christ. I had a moment this week where I was in an exercise when I was away with these folks and we were just reading John 13. There was eight of us in the room. The whole chapter, we read it one by one, eight of us. And some of you are thinking, how boring would that be? Reading the same thing over and over again. Honestly, I was in tears at each reading. John 13 is when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. I was blown away every time it was read of the humility of our Savior given that piece of bread to Judas, knowing that he was going to betray him. That was the facet of the gospel that I just sat in front of this week and it just filled my heart with the knowledge of God. And it's helped me to endure with patience and joy. So find that facet. Sit there and stare. Don't keep going, folks. Keep remembering. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel is so rich. The story that you have brought us into is so rich that we will spend an eternity growing and understanding all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the story. We thank you that you have redeemed a people. You've brought us out of slavery. That You've brought us out of a kingdom of darkness into your kingdom of light. Oh, what a privilege. Father, for those of us who are in the midst of the struggle right now, where the brokenness and the chaos of the world is so real, where we're anxious about tomorrow, 
where we feel the pain of the brutality of life, of loved ones suffering. Father, convince us that the way forward is not just to keep going. It's to keep remembering. Turn our heads to the great story. Turn our heads to your son, your beloved son, Jesus, and help us just to stare for a while, to sit for a while, to remember the glory of the gospel. And, and Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would fill us with it, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God this week. And that you, by your power, as you fill us, you would help us to endure. You would help us to be patient with joy. And ultimately, we don't do any of this for our good. We do this because we want to be people who reflect your son, Jesus. We want to be Christ-like. We want to be like him in our conduct and our character. Help us not to grab for that, that place of worship by putting ourselves on the throne. Help us to rightly enthrone you this week. To see for who you are and to see who you've created us to be. Worshippers who bear fruit in the work that you've given us for your glory and your namesake.